everybody. Welcome to the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Pekulski. I don't know about you, but I experienced tremendous, tremendous setbacks as a young aspiring fitness enthusiast and young aspiring muscle building athlete, and then ultimately a, an aspiring bodybuilder. And regardless of where you are on that journey, there's going to be very similar roadblocks that come up, right? We all face challenges. We all face setbacks. And it seems like after doing this for 20 years, it's always the same things. It's never anything different. It's always the same repetitive things people are doing, simply doing it wrong. And if you break it down to its base level, there's only a small number of things that need to be there as prerequisites for you to actually succeed. So most people have these excuses as to why they can't get in the best shape of life, why they can't build muscle, right? And whether it's genetics or time or money or knowledge or, or, or whatever you think it is, it's always just an excuse. The simple reality is you're just missing one or two pieces of this equation, sometimes three, um, that people simply aren't teaching, right? People simply haven't deduced to a framework and like, hey, this is a simple framework that if you just follow this process and you take action on these very simple things, your body will start to reflect what you look like. So rather than looking at it like a body transformation, you're just looking at like, hey, I have some deficits in one, two, or three areas. And if I bring up those deficits, you know, all of a sudden now my body starts to look and feel and perform very differently. So if you're interested in, in transforming your body, ultimately building muscle, losing fat, and, and stepping into the greatest version of yourself right now, I want you to join me on my free masterclass on transformation processes that I've created and the things that I've identified as being the most important frameworks to start to transform your body. And you can head over to www.muscleintelligence.com slash masterclass. Join right now for my free masterclass. We're only doing this once and I want you guys all to join. That's a very limited amount of space. So take action right now and uh, join me on that free masterclass to learn everything that goes into transforming your body, whether that be building muscle, losing fat, or ultimately stepping into the best version of yourself where you can truly say that you love your life. In today's podcast, we're going to talk to Wade Lightheart, a longtime bodybuilder, uh, someone who did it vegetarian for quite a long time. And he's going to tell us all about his journeys and his challenges that he experienced through bodybuilding and how that turned into developing a supplement line to help people solve the problems that we face day to day. I absolutely love this conversation with Wade. You'll see Wade is an amazing guy with some brilliant insights into life, into bodybuilding, and now into creating products that actually work for people. And uh, thank you so much to Wade for joining us on the show. You guys are going to love this conversation. And without further ado, here's my conversation with Wade. Excellence is its own reward. And, and, and once you get excellent in one thing, I think you can apply those principles to everything else. And I think that was the whole model that a lot of people missed with Arnold is that he took, like when he, when he says, Hey, bodybuilding taught me everything I needed to know to be successful in life. And I think that's a message that I think a lot of people lose in kind of, because of the, the, the heart, the Marvel superhero kind of, you, you, people just see the surface and there's a lot and for good reason a lot of people just get lost in that part and you know them all and they see yep. it all but yep. the actual core essence of it has a lifetime of principles that you can apply to anything that is you can transform any aspect of your life because there's i mean think about it you're really fighting evolution you're fighting evolution as yep. a bodybuilder like you yep. are literally going against millions of years of evolutionary biology yeah i talk about that all the time and it's, it's the development of character the development of self the development of confidence all those opportunities the overcoming fear all those opportunities exist within every single workout every single uh, plan you follow every time you set a goal and you follow through 
you're, you're telling yourself that, Hey, I'm someone who follows through. You're creating these character attributes simply by following through in the plan, provided you take the framing of, I get to do this. This is my, my choice rather than being a victim to it, which happens so often. Right. And I talk about that almost daily. It's like, you, you can't be a victim to your circumstance. You can't be like, I have to go train. I have to do cardio. I have to eat this food. Like, well, that just, from my perspective, completely does the opposite, right? Now you become a victim to everything. You take on that victim characteristic and you roll with that into your life. So, and bodybuilding is just, I think, the, mo- the greatest opportunity in life to intentionally curate obstacles, yeah. right? And uh, so, man, I'm glad that you see that because I don't see a lot of people that talk about this stuff, but it's, it's so true. It almost seems, though, you have to kind of get out of the sport. Um, and <laughs> Maybe. I think, you, I think you almost need to get like that, above the sport like like when you the sport is so demanding you're in it it's a 24 hour seven day a week it's probably yeah. one of the most demanding sports from that perspective there is so when you kind of get out of it a little bit and then and then start something else um and, and just coaching others you you start to see the patterns of dysfunction and then you look at and then that kind of reveals maybe one's own as you go to business it's like okay well this is a whole different set of skill sets mm-hmm. but the principles are the same it's like oh okay i'm sucking accounting well who can i get for an accounting to help me with that like how do i build up my accounting game okay i suck at marketing who can i learn from marketing so it's like it's like what exercises what 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 do i need to do and then i think the other thing about bodybuilding that's so powerful it's delayed gratification man we're in an, we're in the Instagram world and Amazon. Everybody wants everything like within 24 hours. They're upset they don't have it. And I think that long term perspective, I think, is also a great tool. Yeah, but you're right. Nobody talks about this stuff. Yep. Yep. So maybe it's possible that people like you and I are the ones who let these young bodybuilders, or young fitness people, know that hey, this is this is built into the process. If you just don't screw it up, right? If if you don't make it about instant gratification and about being a victim. It's already built into the process. All you have to do is, is, is enjoy the day or build the best day that you can and build a number of successive days that become wins and you become this person that you never thought you'd become, right? And I don't, so I don't think it has to, maybe it does. Like, I love your, your opinion. It's like, does it have to wait till after the career is over? Or is it just a matter of, no, someone just needs to bring it to light. To like, hey, man, you can do all these things at the same time. Because I think it's just a perspective. It's just perception, isn't it? I, I, I think that's right. I think you, you actually nailed it. And that is, that message is not being told from the get-go. That like, like almost like a martial arts perspective. Yeah. Like this is exactly. this is a this is a way of self-discipline that allows you to uh, access um, capabilities that you may not know that you have. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about your bodybuilding career, man. So the reason I want to go there is because, like, clearly seems like you and I have arrived at the same place. And yep. uh, even though we went through it in a different way, we've arrived at the same place. So uh, somewhere along the way, there's probably these common common lessons that were learned and common principles that were garnered. So I'd love to just kind of start like what it looked like for you back in the beginning. What were the struggles when you started or what was the reason you started? Yeah, great question. Uh, when I was 15 years old, three things happened. Uh, we moved from a normal uh, in small town, New Brunswick, to like up to the, to the woods. My, it was five miles to my nearest neighbor along a dirt road. Telephone poles ended at my door. I literally was the guy that went uphill both ways. I'd take a snowmobile out to get to the bus. And at the same time, my sister got diagnosed with Hodgkin's disease. 
which is cancer of the lymph nodes. And I watched her go through the medical model for the next four years and all the terrible thing before she died at 22. So right there, mom, my social environment was completely disrupted and my family life was disrupted. Um, and I, and I saw her go from like a superstar athlete to like just wasting away. And, and, and I remember going, well, your health isn't a guarantee. Your life isn't a guarantee. And she had given me a, uh, she gave me a bodybuilding magazine. I can still remember the cover muscle fitness had Dro- Troy Zuclato on the cover. Yeah. We just won Mr. California with the, two the spiky blonde hair. Yeah. Yeah. With two <laughs> bikini girls. And I, that was like me, right? I got the, yeah. I got, I had the spiky blonde hair and I'm like, holy shit, maybe I could get those girls. I got nothing better to do. So I built a gym literally in my barn, like with the pulleys and, and saw horses. And I, and I had a job and I bought a little York barbell set, you know, the old cement ones and a yeah. little bench. And, and I, and I, and I started training and, and, and Rocky was coming out. So I was listening to the Rocky movies and training like they were in the Drago films. I was like, okay, awesome. here we go. Yep. And then, um, I, uh, and of course, Arnold Schwarzenegger was the biggest thing ever at that time. And I saw him. Uh, I've got his books and I remember reading education of a bodybuilder. And in that book, he said three things. You can achieve anything that you want in life. If you have hard work, self-discipline and a positive attitude. And well, everybody around me, I'm I'm in serious lowbrow blue collar land. Like everybody works hard. Everybody's like, you know, all the guys are all messed up because they've been beaten on equipment and working on the fishing boats and things. And I'm like, okay, everybody's working hard here. (laughs) That doesn't seem to be the answer, but this whole self-discipline, positive attitude, nobody's talking about that. Nobody here has a positive attitude and nobody from what I observe has any sort of self-discipline. What if I apply this? Cause it seems to be working for this guy. (laughs) It seems like a better message. And then I got into it. And then um, when I, I went to university to study exercise physiology, at the University of New Brunswick. Actually, I started out in computer science. And after two weeks of Fortran 77, they were still teaching us on us and I was ready to throw the computer out of the room of trying to make a cashier program. Like, okay, maybe I shouldn't be in computers. I should go and I, I, I did a little switcheroo and, and um, convinced both deans that they had given me the approval to switch out of computer science into, into physiology. And so I, I exited over to there. And I, I got a, a baseline foundational component of um, of that and of, of kind of like how the body works. But the problem with it was, is I was, and I was working out and I got to a real gym at that point, which I thought I had died and went to heaven. Like I had real equipment and I was like, God, you know, like I would ask my professors all these questions about b- building muscles. They, they didn't have any answers. No idea, yeah. And I'm like, what the, what, what's this education? Like you're teaching me facts and information, but you don't know how to apply any of this stuff. So, you know, and I'm, and I'm doing all the courses, right? I'm doing Ellington Daring's super slow training. Yeah. I'm doing, I, I did the power factor training until you're ready to bust the leg press. <laughs> you know, the X sector, the X sector, the John little thing, what yeah. a scale that was. <laughs> you know, I, yeah, I did, you know, Dorian Yates, blood and guts. I did, you know, Mike Menser, like, like, all the kind of, you know, all the guys and all the different things. I tried all of them. Arnold's Encyclopedia of Bodybuilding. And I think it was, I think it, so that whole journey went for about 10 years. I just went through the nutrition industry and the supplement industry and worked in gyms and kind of did that whole thing. And 
like I fucking didn't get anywhere, right? I was just like, I kept losing. And then in 1996, I had failed in business and I'd failed in my relationship. And then I had to move back. I had gone out to BC and I came back home. And there I was in the basement of my parents' house. I lost the New Brunswick championships that year. And I was, I was just like, okay, I'm, in, I'm back working the job that I said I would never do. I'm in the basement of my parents' house. My relationship's over. I'm a fucking loser. And I'm following all these principles that they're telling me about. <laughs> what am I not doing wrong? Right. <laughs> and I snapped. I remember I snapped. And it, it was 50 weeks out from, and I can, I don't normally tell this story because they wouldn't get it. So it was, it was, I lost the 96 New Brunswick championships. And I says, it was two weeks after the show. And, and the, the guy that, um, uh, the guy by the name of T. Jean LeBlanc, I don't know if you ever met him, but he was a former national champion, came second in the Mr. Universe. He was, he was kind of a legend where we're from. Okay. And he talked to me after the show and he said, yeah, you know, it was a tough decision. You know, we, we, we might've made the wrong mistake." And I was like, no, you didn't make the right, right. You didn't make the wrong mistake. I wasn't the clear cut winner of that contest. So if I'm not the clear cut winner, then it's, a, right. this is an arbitrary thing, yep. you know? And I decided right there, I'm going to start training for that show 50 weeks out. Yep. It's, Every week means it's going to be 2% of what I'm going to get. So I was able to, so every workout is 2% of how I'm showing up on that show next year. And I went through the whole year. I won the show and two things happened. Two weeks before the show, Tijon comes to me. He says, well, it's the same guy. He says, like, well, let's see how you're looking before the show. So I, I went to hit my posing routine. He's like, okay, you should do this, this, and this. Now, I hadn't had a real coach. And I was like, it, it, and what he was telling me was kind of against my mindset. Like I was like, you know, and I had about 48 hours where I was like, you know, that last contest I think, and I'm going, fuck, should I do this? I don't know if I should do this. I don't want to be randomly duplicated. And then I finally said, okay, I have to let go of the outcome and just stick with what I'm doing. Because if I change now, I don't know if what I was doing before was going to work or what I'm doing after. And right. so turned out, I ended up winning the show and it was everything I want. It was the best show I ever did. And he told me that night, this is going to be the best show ever. Your local show where everybody knows you and you win is, is never going to be better than this. Everything else just kind of sucks after this. <laughs> and he was right. <laughs> and and um, so after I won, I, 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 that year I had gone to see the, the 97 Nationals in Montreal a couple weeks before my show because it was in November. And I saw all Scott's athletes come out on stage and you could tell every one of his athletes were better than everybody else. They were harder. They were drier. They had better. Swimming. And I looked at myself and I'm like, if I go in this show, I'm coming dead fucking last. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, I might've won the New Brunswick, but I'm nothing at this level. Right. I need to hire this guy. So I, I reached out to Scott and he was going through his divorce with uh, Laura at the time. He was moving. Yep. And I'll never forget this. You'll love that. You know, Scott is pretty crusty guy. And um, I just reconnected with him the other day. Um, he, he sent me a letter and it was handwritten. He said, yeah, I sent him all his information. He said, dear, your, your, your training is amateurish. Um, your diet doesn't do your body justice and your stack is a joke. 
<laughs> like, yay, I'm getting some for, you know. So uh, I, I worked, I, I followed his tutelage, which was so much different because I was in this like lift heavy, the kind of the Dorian Yates kind of model. And he was like, okay, we're getting into executional form. We're getting into moderate weight, a high volume. Like, so everybody around me thought I had lost my mind. I'm training with these light weights and doing all. And, like, and, and then over the nine months I worked, nine and a half months, I, I, I achieved my best physique ever. And I was standing in the gym and before the contest, and I'm like, holy fuck, like, this is what I envisioned to look like. Did the show lost the show, felt terrible after, not, not terrible with the results. I was, it was just like that. But then I came to see him after and I, I, I competed at 196. There's a lot of shenanigans at the show. They were changing the weights to get different people. And it was on TSN and it was, you know how these things are. Was, yep. There was a lot of politics because Laura Benetti's best friend was running the show and they were marking down Scott's out. Oh, <laughs> it was bad. <laughs> it was really bad. But I had no idea about this stuff. I looked like this kid from New Brunswick. Like, what the right. fuck? So after the show, I went to Scott's place and I was about 230 pounds. I competed one night. I was about 230 pounds. So we did all my blood work. I'm clear, I'm clear and everything. It's like, okay, we need to do this. You need to do, you know, we're going to do GH and this and that and everything. And I was looking at it and I looked at I looked at Dorian Yates and I looked at Ronnie Coleman who were on the scene at that time. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm, I don't think I can do enough drugs to actually beat these guys. Like these guys got a different set of genetics than I do. Like, am I really going to beat Ronnie Coleman? I don't fucking think so. Am I really going to do that? And like, and so at that point I said, I'm done. I'm, I'm, I, I, I can't do this because I don't know if I'm going to survive the, the, what I'm going to have to do on a drug stack in order to be competitive right. at the highest level. And that's what I was interested in. You know, I was, I was like, I want to win. I want to win a national championship. I want to be a pro. And I was also, Eric Alstrup had won that nationals that show. And we had been training together for, for the week before the show, the, before the nationals. And we we're sitting outside. And I came out to him after the John Bassett theater. I came out and he's sitting on the sidewalk after he won. I said, Hey dude, congratulations, man. You won the whole show. Like you looked amazing. You did a great job. And he's, he, and he's depressed on the sidewalk. And I'm like, what's the matter? He goes, I'm now the worst pro. Typical <laughs> <laughs> high achiever mindset, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, that, that really, but it really impacted me. It's like, yeah, he, he's actually right. And that's what kind of triggered that thought process. And so then I went out West and, um, Started my own supplement, or I got sponsored by a supplement company, opened up the distribution thing, started my little juice bar in Vancouver, and started selling all kinds of different things and uh, moved my way up through the career. And then um, I got caught up in the whole underground party scene, just went fucking absolutely dog shit crazy, had a life transforming experience uh, with that. Um, escape with my life. I was really lucky I did. What was the transformative experience? Um, what happened was, is so I got caught up in the whole ecstasy scene, which was really hot at that time in underground. And I started working with- This is like 98? This Well, this was after 98. So I came out there, got my play started up, started personal training because I you know, had the physique, I had the thing. So I, I, I got that going and I opened up a juice bar because I didn't know anybody in Vancouver. So I thought this is a way I can connect with people, sell supplements in between my clients. It was right next to the gym. And then I didn't know, but it was a bunch of different 
gangs were kind of like who were the gang crowd were like kind of scouting, Hey, this is a great place. And then I ended up going out with one of the guys about a year later to go out and party and got introduced to ecstasy and all that stuff. And I was like, oh, okay, now I understand all these rap videos. <laughs> you know, when it just went full board. I just, just, I was doing anywhere between 15 and 25 tabs a weekend. Wow. Just partying. And so I'm working my business. I'm personal training. I'm partying like a maniac on the weekends. I'm involved in the underground world because now I got to get my own supply and then my friends are going and then it, it, it you know, and then I'm living the life kind of thing, right? So it's like fast cars, fast women, fast life. And I'm just not sleeping. I'm trained. I'm just a machine, right? I'm just, I'm unstoppable. It's kind of like the bodybuilding ma- mentality on partying. Yep. yep. I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> you, know I mean? like, you know, you're just like, yeah. You do you know, everything hard. Yeah. yeah, it's fun. It's like I'm having like, you know, girls are getting this. like, I, like, fuck, this system makes sense. Right. Yeah. And um, then a series of weird events happened in um, Remembrance Day weekend in November. Um, I was supposed to go work for an uh, offshore investment company. I had one of my clients. He did the psychological profile so that I could do it. So I did that. I was going to either go move to San Francisco and work with him and kind of get out of this. Cause I kind of knew that, okay, I'm starting to do some things that are really in trouble. Like, I, like I'm, I'm running some serious risks here with my lifestyle and my choice of profession and everything. And I know I need a way out and I had an opportunity. I was going to go work with him and I was going to go to San Francisco, work with him for six months and either run the Vancouver office or the San Francisco office. He gets broken into his office in the, by the FBI. He goes totally dark. I don't hear from him. My, all my stuff gets broken into my house. So somebody comes in, takes my video equipment, takes my pictures, takes all that stuff, leaves money and drugs and everything else in the place. Like that happens. And I meet some interesting people. I get drugged with some weird new drug. I ended up in the hospital. You know, they were doing like, I was getting questioned by agents on taxes. And so I don't know what the fuck. Like it was just, it was just, I'd take me two weeks to unblock. It's just, totally dog shit crazy right this guy gives me a book about meditation from swami vivekananda give me three books and two of them were from um vivekananda and there was another one i forget what it was but one was common sense about yoga one was called raja yoga and and i took these books my parents found out that everything's over it's like the mob's looking for me my life's in shambles my health's gone my brain's gone i've been out of the hospital i'm like fuck i gotta go like back to New Brunswick and just straighten my life out. So I had a two-week, two-month window that I went back, got my head straight, and I started reading these books. And inside it, concordant to all that, I was using um, Baroque music and read the super learning books to how to learn a whole bunch of different information. Yep. And uh, I'm not boring you with all this, am I? No, man, this is great. Okay. So, um, so I started using kind of these meditation practice. I'd put to Baroque music and then I would use drugs and then speed up the cycle so I could increase my brain cycle so that I could learn faster. And I didn't what need type to- of drugs were you using for that? Oh, I was using, I tried everything. I used everything from uh, ecstasy to pot to ketamine to, you know. And you're finding that, that accelerated learning? Well, there was a, here's what I did. First, I would go into the, the breathing process with the Baroque music. And then, you know, and I'm doing all kinds of drugs as well as this. And then as I got into entunement, I said, well, if I start increasing the beats, now that I've got entrainment, 
I, I think I can turn over faster regulation. Like this is very crude thinking at the time. I think I can turn over the speed of which I can learn. So, if, and I was getting all these visions and I was, you know, I was just going off and, you know, writing all these things out and these kind of plans for my life and these kind of it. So there was some elements of cool, but there was a whole lot of elements of, of, of stupid. Right. <laughs> but you, you're not, you're not an objective person at that point. Right. right. And and so what happened when I crashed and burned through all this, I go back to New Brunswick and I read this book. And in the book, it says, people who get involved in meditation and use, um, you know, obtuse breathing practices, combine it with music, or and don't have the guidance of a real guru, end up becoming physical and mental wrecks. So it says in this book, written 100 years ago, and I'm like, holy shit, this guy knows what's happened to me, right? And I'm like, I'm like okay, I got my brain back. You know, like, like I, I see whatever I've gone wrong. These are the guys. And I said, well, I need to have my spiritual teacher. I, I, I got to find my spiritual teacher. And, and not a word of lie. I said, God, I need my spiritual teacher. That night, Yogananda appeared in my room in a vision. And, and I mean, when I say appeared in a vision, it wasn't like, hey, I had a dream. It was like, he was in the room with me and said, you need to do Kriya Yoga. Wow. So I get on the computer the next day. I see his picture online. I call these people in Vancouver, had this meditation group. I was like, hey, yeah, I need this Kriya Yoga thing. I know, you know, like, what's the course? How much does it cost? You know, what do I need? And they're like, no, it doesn't really work like that. You kind of, we'll send you the lessons. And after a year of practice, if it's good for you, you can kind of do that. And that kind of set my whole journey into meditation. And then when I read his books, and this is where it comes back to bodybuilding, when, when I read his teachings, he, had, he said this thing. He said, if something doesn't exist for you and it's right and noble for you, then God will create it for you. And I'm like, well, that's a pretty bold statement. All right, let's put it to the test. Because I'm always like, let's test the theory, <laughs> right? You know? And I said, I want, I'm going to do something that people don't think is possible. I'm, because they started drug tested competitions. I only did five cycles in my life. I did five cycles from 96 to 98. As four of them were $500 cycles. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like the, 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 the back of the room at the gym with the, with the, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. And then when I went under Scott, I went under a proper program and that's part of the reason I was able to transform. So I, I really had a sophisticated system with him. And then at that point I realized, okay, that's what this is going to take to win. This is a whole different ball game. I'm, I'm not, I probably won't last on that one. Cause I think, I think bodybuilding success is not just about physical capability. I think it's about, do you have the organ capability to sustain that you know what maybe, I mean? maybe yeah you know it's funny i just i just kind of drew a timeline there i think you and i were probably with him at the same time it was like 1997 i think i started with him wow maybe, maybe 98 yes yeah, so we were probably there. it's like web drive right when he is that where you'd go visit him when he lived on web drive yes yeah right up by the square one yeah, yeah totally holy shit yep. um and he was inspirational because when i went there the first time like i came from new brunswick i haven't seen anything and we go to his I'd never seen a security tower, you know, I, I'd never been into that. And I walked in and there was like a concierge and there was a security and he went in and he had all these books on law and nutrition. And we were, we were watching, I was like, 
I mean, and I mean, I mean, physically, he was extremely impressive for yeah. at that time. I mean, he's what yeah. about 260, 265 or something, just shred. I'm like, fuck, man, I've never seen anybody like this right. around here. And so, um, and I liked his kind of crusty, no nonsense style. I, I, I just, res- I was around crusty, nasty kind of guys. And I just, I'm like, great. He's, he's confident with what he's doing and he's going to tell me how it is. And that's what I need to hear. Yeah. And um, so, after reading that book, I was like, well, maybe, maybe they're doing drug tested competitions. Maybe I can be a drug tested vegetarian bodybuilding champion. And that would get me to the Mr. Universe because they created this new pathway, which through the drug tested world that you could go to the, the world qualifiers. And I was like, there's the pathway. That was, that was the contest I wanted to win when I was 15. I want to go to that one. I want to win that one. So I started training, started doing this whole thing and um, got back with Scott again. We did my training and all that sort of stuff. And I ended up um, winning. And uh, what was interesting is my first year, I won my first show. I went to the Western Canadians and I came second to a guy by the name of Kevin Weiss. And who was maybe one of the best natural bodybuilders I've ever seen. He's not only just a, well, he ended up becoming a, our champion in that level, but he's also a world champion power lifter. Wow. Both it's a freak. Yeah. Scott ended up training him. They cooked up in Kelowna years later, but I competed against him. I lost the first time. So I said, but no sense of doing the national championships. I can't beat that guy. No sense of, you know, I got, I got to spend another year at this. Did another year. So that's a uh, 2002. And then 2003, I go back to the national championships and he's going to be in the same show. And the IFBB changed the classes that year. And they split the middleweight division into middleweight and light middle. The first time in like 54, 56 years, whatever it was, they changed yep. the classes. He gets put in the class above me. I'm in my class. I win his class. He wins his class. I get to qualify. I go to the Mr. Universe. I go to the Mr. Universe, which is in Mumbai, India. Right. And yep. earlier that year, I had spent time in an ashram because I went over there for a, a friend's wedding and I spent time in Yogananda's ashram and I came back and the monks were going to come there. And, that, and that's it. I had gone through this crazy relationship. I had an ex-girlfriend that was all crazed out on drugs and I was kind of work, re- reaping the karma of my whole life. And from there, um, what happens is uh, I just said, I'm done with this. I'm done with I'm done with the sport. I'm done with the I'm done with I'm, I'm done with this world. I'm just going to be a monk. that's what i'm gonna do and that's why after the contest of the mr universe two things happened there was these kids outside the hotel that we were staying at that wanted to see the bodybuilders and we were and because they and i i I chatted with them and i said are you guys going to the stadium because it was in the cricket stadium just down the street which is like 30,000 40,000 people were going to come to the show i don't know 40,000 people coming to a bodybuilding show that's never happens wow so i asked the kids are you going to are you guys going to go to the show? And they didn't have the money to go. And I said, well, I could relate to that because, you know, I, I came from a poor family. And I said, well, after the show, I'll come out to where you guys are training and I'll, I'll give a little clinic after. And so every day I would come out, there would be like more kids coming and like, is he really going to do this? And so the day after the show, they took me, um, I, I got in a the cab, they paid for my cab, took me out to this place. And there was about 
300, it was like this whole little Muslim community. And there was like hundreds of these people come to see me. And I, I gave this show, gave this lecture and I got the pictures from it. And I was just like, Oh, this wasn't about me winning bodybuilding contests. It's about me educating the next level of people. Yep. So that whole journey came and came clear. And then when I got back, Matt says to me, Dude, because I he had come out in the in that time. I had met him in New Brunswick. He came out. There's a whole lot of serendipity around that. I have to share with you one time. I helped him get set up as a personal trainer in Vancouver, and then he started making money online. And then when I got back, he says to me, "Hey, man, you got a crazy story. There's no nobody's a vegetarian natural bodybuilder at the Mister Universe. That just doesn't happen." He goes, "We could sell this online." And I'm like. What the fuck are you talking about, dude? Nobody's making money online. He goes, no, I'm making money online. I'm selling stuff online. I'm like, dude, I don't even have a computer. I was just meditating. I'd given up all my electronics. I was living this monk-like life. <laughs> He's like, he didn't believe I didn't have a computer. I didn't believe he was making money. And I said, okay, well, we can write a book. And I used an internet cafe to write uh, what we called Freaky Big Naturally. And we recorded the original CDs in his room and uh, in his kind of little makeshift studio. And and um, we started selling it. And those days you could sell those education programs for like 300 bucks. And, yep. and we started scaling it up and it took off right out of the day. And, and I remember when we first paid ourselves, I was like, well, shit, I best, I best go get a computer because I didn't even own a computer. So I might be the only guy that had a successful internet business and didn't even own a computer. <laughs> and, then, and then the rest is history after that. And we kind of went through all our ups and downs through our company and our own personal relationship. And his struggles and my struggles. And then eventually Dave, then Dave came in years later, we rebranded the company by optimizers um, five, six years ago, Dave stayed on for a couple of years and then he had to exit because he had some other things going on. So we bought him out and, and then uh, we've continued to grow the brand since then. So that's the whole story. So what common um, challenges did you see in the bodybuilding space, either as a as a vegetarian or as a non-vegetarian a, you know, omnivore um, that you're running into. So I just want to see how it segues into you guys landing on, Hey, I need to do these particular products. Great question. So after, so the problem that we had, and this was a problem that Scott and I were addressing early on, cause he's like, I said, I want to be a plant-based guy competing. He goes, I don't know how to fucking do that. I don't know anybody that's doing that. And I'm like, well, I understand that. He goes, I said, but let's, let's give it a shot. I trust your coaching and let, let's work within that framework to do the universe. He's like, okay, we're going to, we're going to do that. And what I was doing is we were applying a kind of a meat eating mentality to a plant-based diet. And at so that time we just what, used- What were your primary sources? Yeah. So what were your primary sources of protein? Whey protein. That was it. Oh, only. Yeah. So for literally two years, the better part of the first year, so six months of the first year, I had my kind of awesome. And then, and then I, I started my prep in January, won the Westerns, went to the nationals and then had to go to the worlds. And, and we just stayed on my diet for the entire 11 months. So I, I'm I, like, I'm in shape for a contest in July and just stayed there nonstop. And we used, I, I still remember the meals. I still remember my meal plan at that time, right? Because it was only five things, 
50 grams of whey protein with every single meal. First meal was two shredded wheat biscuits. Second meal was 25 mini, mini rice cakes. Third meal was uh, two medium potatoes. Fourth meal was 25 mini rice cakes. And the fifth meal was a, was a salad with my protein. That was it. And that's all I ate. And no vegetables? No, that was it. Just that salad. That was the only thing at the end of the, at the, end of the day. Because I used to do that because I'd fill up. You know, like enough fiber that I would not totally go insane. Sorry, that was a call. So um, <laughs> it was pretty brutal. <laughs> it was pretty, it was pretty brutal. Yeah, I bet your waist was just like minuscule, right? Like there's like, there's like the volume of food is almost zero. It's almost zero. And, and I'm not on drugs either, but I'm doing, a, you know, I'm doing a fucking Scott Abel program. Right. And I don't know at the time, and Scott's evolved and changed a lot now. I think he's, he's much more amicable and more balanced in his approach. But after I won the national, he never gave me any refeeds, nothing. Hmm. I just grinded it all the way to the universe. And that last six months, I was a walking dead man. You can imagine, how, you know. And I live there too. I tell that story all the time, man. Like that was the, the worst dieting experience of my life still to this day like it's the dumbest approach in, in the history of the world but if you, if you can nut your way through it it works doesn't mean you're gonna be healthy doesn't mean you're gonna be your best just means you're gonna get there correct maybe maybe <laughs> and so after the contest i fucking ballooned up man i i gained 42 pounds in 11 weeks oh man i, I think i did that in like two weeks well, you're a little bit bigger than me. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> he only got about a hundred pounds on me at that time. Yeah. I'm competing as a 176 guy, right. not a 276 guy. Right. <laughs> so it's a relative percentage of body weight. Yeah, true. So I blew up and I met a doctor, this guy, Dr. O'Brien. And he had, um, he, he had helped Bernard Jensen and it's in his book, come alive, recover from, uh, uh, prostate cancer and bone cancer. And this guy was in his seventies. He was vibrant. He was everything you wanted to be at a seven hour. He's like super smart, look right through. He had, he, he gave these eight hour lectures, never ate a thing during the whole lecture. I never seen this guy that was so smart, so much energy. He'd overcome cirrhosis of the liver. He'd overcome colon cancer himself. And he was talking about the digestive system and how, you know, using enzymes and probiotics and all this sort of stuff was uh, essential in order to reconstitute because any food that wasn't digested, absorbed and utilized was a potential toxin. And then that created these bad bacteria and they produce all kinds of neurochemicals and disruptors that make you feel bad. And yep. that's what it is. And when I went to him, I said, well, I don't get it. Like what you're telling me is completely different from everything in the bodybuilding world. Right. Okay. And, 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 and it's working in the health world because I don't think bodybuilding is about health. It's about performance. Yep. I want to be healthy. I want to be a healthy bodybuilder. What am I doing wrong? And he said to me, he changed my life. He says, wait, you've learned to build the body from the outside in. I'm going to teach you how to build the body from the inside out. Beautiful. And so I went on a completely raw food diet, followed everything he did. Six, in six months time, I got my physique back, got my health back, um, felt great, was training. Um, but 
on the really real, then when then I was on a super low protein diet. So when I started kind of doing kind of a competitive type stuff on that program, I, I, I could, I didn't have the, I didn't have the juice. Like I just couldn't have the juice to go through the workouts. Yeah. Was it raw was vegan? Wait, or was it just, was it raw yeah. vegan? Yeah. Yeah. It was raw vegan, hundred percent raw. And so I was like, fuck, this isn't working. You know, let's like, okay, it builds health, but it, it, it doesn't meet my performance goals. And we cut a deal with their, the company that he was uh, formulating for that we were supposed to do all the enzymes and probiotics. They were going to supply us. And then one of the guys that they were working with, these, they were working with these two guys, which are also trainers at our gym, this one Persian guy freaked out because I had beat him in a contest and he was kind of jealous and he had kind of presented himself as something that really wasn't true. And he was kind of fearful that he would find out. And so he freaked out, did a, they did a character assassination on Matt and I, and then the company wouldn't deliver us the products. Oh, wow. So I drove down to, um, Dr. O'Brien was giving his last lecture of the year in a place uh, in, in, in Oregon called Medford, Oregon. And I drove down with a couple of friends. I was like, we got to see this guy's seminar, man. This guy is, a, this guy is money. So I go in there and I, he, he does a talk where he's talking about how he was working with AIDS people and recovering from the muscle wasting of AIDS. And while he's doing it, he reaches down and grab, I'm in the front row. He grabs my arm. And when he grabbed my arm, there's like, I don't know what happened. If like I went into this timeless space and there was like this energy transfer that happened. And I felt, I, I didn't know how much time it was. And afterwards, my girlfriend at the time said to me, he, I said, how long was he holding on by him? She goes, it was, it was probably five minutes while he was talking. I'm like, really? like, it was really strange. After the, after the event, I went to him and I said, Dr. O'Brien, I said, we're, we're, I'm trying to get the products, but I'm getting blocked by the guys that said they were going to do it. Here's what's going on. He looks at me and goes, you, you'll get the products. You just have to go through the right channels. And then um, Matt and I were sitting in our, his apartment a little bit after we got rejection. And I looked at him and I'm like, fuck this man. We are going to get this message out no matter what. And we learned from Dr. Edward Howell we had heard, learned about him was the enzyme pioneer. And, and since we couldn't get that, I said, well, well, fuck it. Let's go make our own products. And so we reached out to those guys. We said, we wanted to make a highly proteolytic product because what all these guys were doing, they didn't have a lot of protease to bring, to convert the protein into the amino acids. And we said, that's the limiting factor. That's, that was the limiting factor when I was doing all this whey protein. I couldn't convert that into muscle. It was just shit building up in my system. It was just caked up shit. So I wrote out the first formula that I thought that I wanted. We gave it to the guys at the lab coats to kind of work it out. They're like, you can't do this. This is way too expensive. I was like, we don't care. We just want it to work. And then we did a marketing thing in order to pay for stuff. Like we talked about this enzyme formulation we made and we had to, it was a two month waiting list. We, we took in a bunch of money, brought the product, like bought the things, branded it, started selling it. People loved it. They felt better. They felt good on it. It was delivering kind of what we did. And we had that whole messaging with our book. And then we, and that, that, that was the start of our company. So I've seen huge differences with enzymes personally, right? Especially someone consuming high amounts of protein in any capacity, whether it's whey protein or, or animal protein, particularly if it's animal protein, um, you know, the benefits of, of enzymes are innumerable. And, you know, the one thing that I found as a bodybuilder, I, don't know if, I guess you wouldn't have experienced this, but 
there's a certain point where your body simply can't absorb anymore naturally, right? So you're eating so much, it starts to accumulate and you can feel it accumulating. You're just like, I'm not hungry. I'm always kind of bloated. I'm always kind of full. As soon as I threw in enzymes, I probably did this in gosh, 2000, maybe 11, maybe 10, 2010 or 11, I started taking enzymes and uh, the difference is just like, oh my goodness. So I started starting to get HCL and proteolytic enzymes. It was actually Wobenzyme. I don't know if you remember Wobenzyme. I started taking yeah, it in 2010. Um, so I started taking that and I was like, man, this is like a secret weapon. Like if I can get more food into my muscles rather than just sitting in my belly, I can grow faster. And man, I was one of the only bodybuilders in the world, um, I think, taking enzymes way back then. And, and now it turns out you beat me to it. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's the, yeah, it kind of, I really think that we, in, not to tutor home, but I think we were one of the first people to talk about it in the bodybuilder. Now you see enzymes and all sure, sorts of proteins sure. and stuff like that, because you, you exactly, you know, bodybuilding, and we talked about earlier, is overcoming the genetic limiters that are built into the system. That's why people use, you know, exogenous hormones. That's why they have to create these kind of uh, hybrid eating programs and timing programs, and then and then the, and then we're subjecting ourselves to, to to abnormal levels of specific components of stress. Like there's there's a very sophisticated strategic system, and and if you're you're smart enough and can stay with it and survive all the other stuff and get to the point that you're getting, you run into that exact problem, right? Okay, I can stimulate the system and I can support that system. This the, this, the amount of stimulation I'm doing with the with the hormone support but where's the supply line yeah and and the trucks break down basically it's like we can't haul enough shit into the stuff and yep. we got a backlog on the in the in the in the warehouse here which is our digestive system and you see a lot of bodybuilders they run into these all these kind of weird digestive issues you know and then in, yeah. and it's it's hard right you don't and want inflammation like, and yeah yeah totally which correlates with what um which correlates with what Dr. O'Brien said that people were running into sickness because all species on the planet eat their food in a naturally enzymatic rich space, whether it's a horse eating grass, whether it's a bear eating salmon or blueberries, whether it's a tiger eating zebras. Is it, it, they consume the entrails first where they get the enzymes and probiotics and then they eat the carcass. Uh, fruits and vegetables or, or, or if you even go to horses and cows, they're grabbing the sprouts. They're grabbing the freshest, the most enzymatically rich components, but we cook our food. So there's advantages to cooking our food for storage and delivery. And, you know, we can get more calories into the system and all that sort of stuff. We're not like monkeys that are just eating leaves all day long, which have that kind of distended stomach, uh, you know, and it's hard to eat enough calories. That's why monkeys are so small and humans got bigger, I think. And so I was like, okay, there's correlations here between the, the limits in bodybuilding and what the potential health things, how do we kind of marry those two things together in a performance model? And it took us, you know, it wasn't a quick fix. Like we, we, we tested a lot of things that didn't work. And then when I looked at enzyme formulations, particularly the where people uh, cheaped out to, to construct proteolytic enzymes, which is kind of the big thing for recovery is can you convert the protein into the amino acids that your body can use if you stimulate properly? Uh, and, and so when we started studying proteolytic enzymes, we, we discovered that, well, some enzymes are active at this range of pH, some are ends at this much, this one. So when your body starts cleaving protein, when it first digests, you got 30 to 60 minutes, 
in the upper cardiac portion of the stomach where the enzymes present in the food are supposed to start breaking that food down before hydrochloric acid comes in. And there's certain amino acids that get cleaved then. If they don't get cleaved then, you, you really don't digest that protein very well. And so if we, if we took the enzymes before we eat, like, like we're getting it, and then we take our, our big meal, then, and we had the, the enough enzymes that worked in the different pH range, well, then theoretically, we could get better digestion absorption of all the amino acids that or the protein we consume to convert all the amino acids. And so that was the theory that we applied to the development of the product. And the product was about 55% proteolytic enzymes when other formulations would have maybe one type of protease, the cheapest one they could get. And it would, it would be somewhere between five and 15% protease. Cause you know, things like amylase or lipase is much cheaper to manufacture. It's not as complex enzyme. And so we said, we're going to come out with something that no one else has done. And that's how uh, Masszymes was born and we're still selling it today. Uh, it's third version now, of course, but. Yeah. And it's, it's crushing. It's such a great product. I recommend it to everybody, as you know. And uh, so staying on the enzyme front, um, you guys also evolved into doing other enzymes and other ones that you found to be useful. I know one that I kind of keep on hand all the time is gluten guardian. And I, I had no idea that there was an enzyme. Obviously, you understand theoretically gluten's a protein. There's always got to be a systemic enzyme that breaks it down. The people who genetically don't have that enzyme tend to have less of a, an ability to break down gluten. So you guys went and, and kind of deduced or deduced or, or discovered that, um, hey, there's this enzyme that breaks it down. I can also put this in a supplement. How'd you come around that? Yeah, great question. So, and again, deduction is, so we knew that there was a large part of the population for first off that we, we knew of lactose intolerance, okay? That's a common element. So we thought, oh, wait a second. If we strip all the enzymes out of milk, so people used to eat raw milk, which had the enzymes present in it, and of course, the old bodybuilders like Geronda and those guys, they fresh used raw milk. milk and eggs, right? So they're yep. using these kind of fresh amino acid type things inside the eggs that form a whole chicken. Like it's almost like a, a preliminary protein product. It's like and they're throwing, right? Yeah. And then they're loading up the fat. So it was pretty genius. And he was using all these, like, he's a pretty smart dude of what he was figuring out at the time. And Rio H. Blair and those guys. And I was like, okay. But we know since we've modernized the food production and distribution system, stripped away the, the lactase, well, now there's a whole bunch of people that can't break down milk proteins. Yeah. And then now we see the evolution of people that can't break down gluten proteins. Oh, and it turned out that I didn't digest fats very well. I have the genetics that don't, that don't break down. I never liked high fat diets. Matt does really well on high fat diets. So we started looking at, oh, maybe um, the variance within digestibility or why some diets work for some people, not for others, is a combination of two things. Genetics combined with enzymatic capabilities. And as we age, our overall enzymatic capability seems to diminish. And so the challenges within our own or our own epigenetic response becomes more prominent inside of, of how that works. So what would happen if we took and found an enzyme that would break down gluten or found an enzyme that would break down this. So maybe the, maybe all the dietary distress that people are experiencing is simply because they don't have the enzymes present to break down that food effectively and efficient. So it's just like what happened with bodybuilders only now it's so widespread because we've changed our, our, our food supply. So, so 
so radically in the last 80 years. Yep. And so then we started building customized enzymatic solutions based on the challenges that people had. So we came out with um, Gluten Guardian, which has dipeptidopeptidase 4, yep. which is two interesting things because we just found this out too. For whatever reason, and we don't know the mechanism yet, we've got these PhDs in the lab that I was talked about that are working on it. It also seems to assist with casein. So casein doesn't digest very, it breaks down very differently than other proteins and not many people can do it, but gluten guardian does actually have an impact on that as well. I don't know. We don't know why yet, but it does not. I mean, it's right. not like the same as, you know, a same as a, a, a lactase enzyme. So and then, do, you, do, yeah, you have any, do you have any specs on like uh, percentage efficacy? So if someone is relatively gluten intolerant and they're consuming some of these enzymes, do you, I know you guys do a lot of research. So I'm curious if you see, you know, what the relative efficacy is as far as its ability to break down gluten. Yeah. So, well, we do more of a clinical approach because it, it, unless you've got the machinery that could go into that person's intestinal tract, you can't sure. tell how they, yeah. so to, for illustrative purposes with say gluten, let's use gluten as an example, everybody to a certain extent has an intolerance to gluten. It ranges on a, say a, a relative scale from zero being no response to 10 being celiac. You know, like you have it and it's like razor blades in your guts. Yeah. Okay. So the individual dosage we'll find is going to vary between say one and five caps, depending on how much gluten a person is consuming in a meal and where they are relative to sensitivity, which sensitivity tends to increase over time. It's like, a, if it's a problem, it's a problem when you're 20, you feel a little off eating the pizza at two o'clock in the morning. By the time you're 40, that piece of pizza is going to put you down for two days. Yep. So, and that's because our whole enzymatic reserve is diminishing. So what we found is we suggest to people, first off, it's not going to cure celiac disease or anything. I won't be clear about that, but let's say you find yourself intolerant to it, then you're going to have to choose a standardized dose. So you could do a, an experiment. I always encourage people to experiment. So, so let's say you, you have your mom makes your favorite bread. So you go, okay. My mom makes really good bread and I like it. And, uh, so I'll take one roll. And for me, for every roll I eat, I need two capsules of gluten guardian and I don't feel bloated or after I eat that food. Someone else might only need one. Someone else might need five. There's going to be a variance depend on how, how much they consume and how intolerant they are to that particular product. And then for people who are a hypersensitive, gluten guardian becomes kind of an insurance policy for social occasions right. where they may get contamination, you know, from, you know, just being in a restaurant or a social occasion or accidentally eating something that has gluten in it. So people use it as an insurance uh, process to eliminate kind of digestive distress. Very cool. Um, you guys also then stayed on the digestive tract and went with or created P3OM and and. I know nothing about the data behind that, but it seems like you guys had some pretty significant um, data. Yeah. So, so going back to Dr. O'Brien and he was the, uh, the genius behind that uh, particular formulation and he worked uh, um, with a, a So did you guys hire him? After? Yes. Yeah. So what, what ended up happening is, and actually we got, we got the, we had year, a few years later, we had hired their company to produce that with us. And then we were able to actually get the formula ourselves, which was cool. 
Um, as long because Dr. Brian's not with us anymore, their company went through a whole big thing and we were able to acquire that. So I'll give you the research science behind it though. So um, Dr. O'Brien um, had recognized that if you subject um, any bacteria strain to a variety of stressors, there's a certain adaptive response. This is why anti, we have these um, antibiotic resistant strains of bacteria that are running wild. So we've subjected, you know, I think they're doing like 10,000 times the amount of penicillin that they gave back in World War II yep. to people nowadays to reduce infections. And, and why a doctor will tell you to take 10, and I'm, I'm kind of setting this up so people can understand, why the doctor will tell you to take all the antibiotic biotics that you need to take to reduce the chance of an infection is because if you don't go through that 10 day course, some of the bacteria are going to survive, adapt and mutate to that condition. So bacteria are probably the most adaptable species on the planet. They're, they're, they, these things are living in volcanoes. They're living on the bottom of the ocean. They're flying through meteorites and landing on other planets. Like these things are super resistant entities. Yeah. And because they mutate under the conditions they are to find life. So it's, it's, that's a whole story in itself. Like, like does the conditions actually leave life or does life uh, come forth in the conditions? And right. I think it's actually the latter, not the, the, the precursor. Um, so understanding the problem with the mutant type of bacteria and the antibiotic resistance strain, he conceived of an idea of, well, what happens if we could actually take an aggressive strain of probiotics subject it to a set of conditions to mutate it into a super bacteria that was good for us. Interesting. And so as the story goes with a bunch of different experience experiments, put them in a toxic soup and ran a sine wave through the toxic soup and bacteria have both a uh, response to electromagnetic frequencies as well as environmental conditions. And there was the right electromagnetic frequency would add just a tiny amount of the bacteria to survive this toxic soup. And when they came out the other end through their generations, you had a, a specialized mutant strain of good probiotics. They grew them on different mediums and then they tested them in studies against the Rochester's virus, the HIV virus, and all these things. So viruses work and, you know, we can't say just kind of like the current situation that we're dealing with, but yeah. when they talk about a spike protein, a protein, a virus connects onto the cell by setting in its, its, its protein content, docks inside that, and then sends its disruptive message into the cell and takes over the functioning of the cell. That's how a virus works. And so most bacteria aren't protolytic. They don't, they're not able to recognize these things. Tumors create a protein coating to disguise itself against the immune system. So we're not as, our immune system, it's hard to adapt to some of these proto, you know, these proton shield, the pro, uh, protein shields that have been created by pathogens. So it's kind of like a little war going on inside our body. So he said, okay, well, if we do this and then we test it against these viruses and we put enough of these these good guys against the bad guys, maybe we can overwhelm them because these guys will eat the, the protein coatings that use that dock and, and render those mm -hmm. viruses neutral. And it turned out they were issued uh, a patent 
uh, demonstrating that the product was, and I'm not making this claim. I want to be clear about it. I'm not making right. a claim, but if you go to the research when we have the U.S. patent on it, antiviral, antiretroviral, protolytic, digest tumors, and is maintainable in the gastrointestinal tract. Those are the principles that was assigned by the patent office to this particular product. And we got the rights to that product. And that became P through M, which now spawned a whole new thought process within our company. So we realized, okay, we've got the protein issue going on. And we figured out that one by developing a sophisticated digestive enzyme that would handle both anything. And then we have specifics based on dietary practices. Well, now we have a, 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 a very hyper-aggressive probiotic strain that we've enhanced through essentially training. That's yep. what we call it. Like, it's like buds training or bodybuilding training, whatever you want to call it. Well, maybe the future of health and humanity is going to be our ability to call, cultivate novel new bacteria strains to meet the demands of a world which is used on a pharmaceutical world of let's kill the, kill the enemy. And I suppose instead of trying to just destroy our enemies, let's enhance our capability to handle whatever evolutionary totally. pathogens come at us. And so then now we've gone on to um, have our own lab with PhDs who are experts on this so we can make the turn of these various experiments with probiotics. And so, for example, we came out with cognibiotics later on because yeah. serotonin deficiency is a big issue. We believe that that's a combination of people not being able to digest and uh, convert their amino acids into the uh, neurotransmitters that our brain is essential. And now why yeah. I think depression is so prevalent right now because of our lifestyles are doing it. So we said, okay, well, let's look at the probiotics that are shown to manufacture serotonin. Okay, well, if we put those complementary strains, we put the right prebiotics and people like to have a somatic effect off the back. So we could look at Chinese medicine, which um, Charles Poliquin was the first guy to come up with the connection between Chinese medicine and neurochemical dominance. That's the bridge. There's yeah. a brilliant integration. And, and, and so there's these various Chinese herbs, which are used to offset the conditions that people would now define as depression or low mood or whatever. And it's like, okay, so we can put those herbs. And those herbs probably have some of those naturally occurring probiotics in its original state anyways, in combinations. And we can put these probiotics together. And if we feed them enough, and put them all together in a capsule for people who have challenges around serotonin development, Hey, maybe we can fix that. So that's how that product came and, and continuing. We, that's the rationalization, deductive reasoning, do an experiment, get some experts inside that run a shit ton of tests, whole bunch of them fail. We get some little integrations like, okay, let's make that. And let's make that in our next generation of products. And, and that's how we build our products. Love it, man. One of the staples you guys sell. That's one of my favorites is mag breakthrough. And, and I think, um, you know, I've talked to almost ad nauseum at that provide that product, just the benefits of the, kind of multi-tissue exposure of all the different chelates of magnesium. Um, if there's anything specific you wanted to mention about that, we can do that. But I really want to get into um, what you guys have in the pipeline. Because every time you come up with a new product, it's always exciting. It's always like, and th there's something really cool coming out here. And you guys are, like I said, you're, you're, all the products have, have a, almost like their own beautiful little niche, right? It's not like you're, the thing I hate about most conventional supplement companies is just, I call it me too. Like, oh yeah, I have that product too. I have a pre-workout, I have a post-workout, I have a whey protein 
like, yeah, great. Those are, those are all awesome, but you guys are coming out with unique products that solve unique problems. So I'm curious what you see as the next, next, you know, uh, we don't want to say the next problem you're solving, but that's effectively how I look at it. Yeah. Great question. And um, to just state one thing really clear is when we got, when we went through our own health transformation in life, we decided that we'd make a product or our company's ethos was to end physical suffering and activate awesome health, taking people from sick to superhuman. And that we would always stay true to that mission and we would never build products on margin. We'd build it on mission so that we could continue to serve mankind. So it's kind of like a spiritual expression for us. It's like, we, we only want to do products that can actually make a difference. And so what we do is we analyze the market of, okay, where can we make a product? So first we were solving the digestive issues of bodybuilding and stuff like that. But then it was like, yeah. okay, wait a second. Cause they had health practice benefits we didn't really know at first. And then we like, okay, well, how do we, how do we look at the landscape of what's going on out there? And then how do we create a product that solves a common problem for a lot of people and applying that mission over margin mentality. So that's the psychological, psychological component to go into the process of first. And then that's really important. Like you said, we're not trying to create a me too product. We're trying to make something that solves a particular problem. And oftentimes it's because, Frankly, Matt and I are kind of crazy guys and on the extreme nature. We usually be create problems from our own extremeness. <laughs> you know, that's how magnesium came about. We serial entrepreneurs working 14 hours a day, seven days a week, you know, and burned ourselves out relying on stimulants and then burning out our adrenal system and having high levels of cortisol and then yep. looking at a spectra cell test and seeing where we got depleted levels of magnesium going into the soil. And so, oh God, we haven't had enough magnesium in the soil and the microbes to get the soil. And that's why there's 80% deficiency and you check with the naturopath and it's like, okay, well then there's all these different types of magnesium and uh, different ones are absorbed by different parts of the body. So how do we, you know, get all these magnesiums and do the experiments and run that and see what we can get the most comprehensive formula that addresses the most people's problems and the most people's deficiency in the most effective way. So that's the whole magnesium equation. And you can read all the ingredients and I can explain those, but and when it comes to the next product, what we have found, um, which we're super, super excited about is cognitive capabilities. So if you talk to most people today, we have the unintended consequences of technological innovation is that we are now been hijacked by mathematical algorithms combined with the greatest psychologists in the world to get our attention. We don't live in an information age, we live in an attention age. And the attention age means that I'm getting, we're leveraging our biological mechanisms that build skills, which is the dopamine um, response mechanism. So dopamine system is like, okay, um, I learned how to throw this spear and kill the elk. And if I throw the spear this way and this many times, I get really good at killing the elk yeah. and I get a dopamine system that creates a connection between my axion and dendrites and through repetition and, 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 and drive over time, intensity, frequency, duration, I build a stronger, stronger and stronger response mechanism that leads to the development of a specific skill. And this has been a system which we have leveraged throughout the entire human history in order to cultivate competency in the world relative to the times. Yep. But the unintended consequences of, of technological innovation is now we're using all of this, this response mechanism and we're hijacking it 
to give us a dopamine response mechanism. And my phone's ringing literally at that moment, right? To get my attention. It's going to hijack my attention. And I'm going to get this. And oh, I got a new like. Dopamine response system. Oh, I got a, I, I got a new subscriber. Dopamine response system. Oh, I see the sexy girl. Dopamine response mechanism. So what has happened is mathematical algorithms, artificial intelligence, and super genius psychologists have hijacked our system to create a drug-like addiction to things that actually destroy our competency in the world yeah. as opposed to enhance it. And this is, we don't, like, we're in real trouble as a species because of this. And, you know, we, we now have the attention span of a goldfish. We have rampant amounts of anxiety and depression in the world, uh, social malaise, and, and it's, it's been amplified over this last, you know, year and a half here with all the things that are going on in the world. And we're like, okay, well, how do we, and the result of why you feel low on any of these conditions or don't have the ability to focus or, or don't feel as creative as you used to, or, um, you know, can't seem to have the verbal and social fluency that you would like to have in the world is largely in part of two things. Number one, the axion and dendrite connections. And you, like myself, have gone to neurofeedback training where you can alter these in a relatively fast way. That was my question. Was this initiated when you guys were doing the crazy neurofeedback that you all do? Yes. So, <laughs> so we, neurofeedback's amazing. You've done it. Amazing. I've done it. It's, it's fantastic because it's probably the fastest way to start shifting um, complex and, and, and hardwired neural response mechanisms that create your personality or your capabilities. You know? And now we can get feedback uh, for, with a silicon brain on our carbon-based brains, we've extended uh, the, the, the feedback accountability cycles like, oh, now I know why I think this way and I can change that through feedback loops, um, which, which is the slow route was meditation, but with neurofeedback, we're getting better data points so that we can refine that process on a faster cycle. So we're leveraging technology in our favor where most people are leveraging technology in a way that takes them out of competency. Totally. And what happens when you... Um, you give yourself all this dopamine um, without replenishing, uh, without actually developing a new skill. You keep wanting to get more dopamine because the millions of year of evolution says, "Well, I'm going to get, I'm going to make this, I'm going to make this the the spear stroke on the elk to, to, to correct." But now you're not. Now you're just really good at watching people at Instagram, and your your, your relationships fail, your 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 business acumen fails. And you start to get a depression of the various neurochemicals, which these electrical transmissions require in order you, for you to develop what we would call these various skill states. Uh, and some people call it creativity. Some people call it, you know, whatever the skill state that you develop. And that's yeah. largely in part of your, your neurochemical dominance and the amount of applications that you put towards that through training or in, in trainment. So for whatever reason, we got lucky and we found a guy who was this super genius kind of chemistry guy who had his own chemical uh, issues, um, neurochemical issues. And he had found ways to resolve some of those issues within his life and his family history. And he's a fantastic formulator and extractor and stuff. But like all like super geniuses, 
He didn't know how to run a business. He had struggles in that. And he could manage it out of just sheer will and IQ points. And we ran into him because we were looking at, well, when we go to neurofeedback, we've gone a bunch of times and we go every year. We're like, okay, we can get that. Well, okay. I love the neurofeedback. Like, how do I do this better? What, what can I take to support this? How do I, you know, we're always thinking about bodybuilder mentality, right? Do more. Yeah. How do I do more for less and faster? Yeah. So we had experiments with a bunch of different things. And if you go to the 40 years of Zen or by like what you can add various um, elements that will enhance your experience. And so we met this guy in a, in a way to look to enhance our neurofeedback experience experiments, but we started testing some of the solutions that he had put together. And we're like, Holy crap, this stuff really worked. Like we got some, we got some gold here. So we, we started Matt being the mega experimenter that he is is, well, what if we do this? And what if we do that? And, and so we started working in conjunction with him to develop an array of um, nootropic combinations. And for, for those who don't know what a nootropic is, it's basically uh, an, um, a combination of formula that enhances uh, various aspects of your neurochemistry for various types of cognitive performances. And each cognitive performance is cultivated by the, those connections, as well as the sea of neurochemicals that those connections have. When the sea goes down, that's when you experience fatigue. Okay, I was focused for two hours, I can't do any more. Well, is it because you don't have the axon dendrite thing? No, it's because you've just depleted your neurochemicals and you need to go into recovery. Right. So we said, well, what happens if we could offer the specific formulations that would bring up the sea of neurochemistry in a way that would allow you to sustain uh, execution of performance for a longer period. So it's like steroids for your brain. Yep. And so uh, he says, this is great. And so what we took is we got a bunch of different formulas put together, eight different formulas. We packaged them all up into one cool box. We give people a specific instruction manuals Okay, well, here's what this product does. Here's what this product does. Here's what this product does, et cetera, all down the line. Now, we encourage people to go through a systematic experimentation with each one of those products singularly and then in combination with each other so that you can dial in the specific neurochemistry that makes your brain work the way you want it to work right. for the task that you're willing to, that you want to engage in. Right. And, and so we called the company Newtopia. And uh, it's a sub-brand of our company and it's, it's been rocking uh, with a very exclusive group of people because now we have a problem of scale. Everybody that's taken it loves it, uh, but you know, now we're, we're working on taking the bioptimizer thing that we've learned over 17 years and applying those systems of scale to Newtopia to help alleviate neurochemical depletion around the world and optimize people's brains. That was amazing, man. I could ask you so many more questions. We could talk for more hours, but I don't want to keep you uh, too long. So why don't you tell us uh, where everyone can find more up from Bioptimizers and Newtopia? Yeah. So um, it's really simple. Um, if they come on to uh, onto this show, I think they just come to, uh, you know, put in muscle. You go to bodybuild, you go to bioptimizers.com. If they put in, uh, you know, code muscle to anything. You can get any of our offerings from the company. Newtopia is another brand of ours. 
if you go through the buy optimizer stuff, you can find pretty much everything. We're on Instagram, social media, awesome health podcast, all that sort of stuff. But yeah, you guys have, like I said, uh, this is an honest endorsement. Like they're really good products and they work really well. Very like I try to keep my medicine cabinet relatively slim these days. I try not to overdo products. I mean, people send me products every day, um, but there's very few things that I actually love using. One of them being Mag Breakthrough, uh, Masszymes, the P3M, myself and my kids use. Um, and uh, yeah, I haven't tried the new the Newtopia yet though. So I have to jump on that pretty soon. And we'll get you man, yeah, thanks so much for being here, man. Like that was a great conversation. I loved your backstory and I love hearing that because it just, it just puts a, a realism into what you do, right? So many people just uh, jump into the supplement industry and like, hey, I just want to make money. But like, I love the fact that you, you saw a problem, you saw a need and you guys stepped into it and, and you're crushing it, man. So thank you. It, you know, the pleasure is all mine. I've been looking forward to this interview for a long time and uh, hopefully I'll get you on my podcast because there's a whole lot of things that I want to unpack in your career. So man, I, we would talk for hours, buddy. Like, and the things, the thing that you would, things that you would know that other people don't is kind of similar to what you were saying. Like you don't get, get to go on podcasts and talk about the early days of your bodybuilding career. It's the same for me. There's so much that happened in there. And like to unpack that would be actually really, really fun because there's a lot of lessons to be garnered, just like there was in yours. There's a lot of lessons to be garnered there and the mistakes that I made and, and the things that I did well and how I, you know, the, the learning process and the learning curve was, there's, there's a lot to unpack there. So I'd love to do it sometime. Uh, let's, let's uh, hook that up. Cause uh, one of the things I always, someone asked me like, what was the, what was your keys to success? And I said, I don't know. I think I was either too stupid or too stubborn to quit. <laughs> Dude, you know, it's funny. As you were talking, I said the same thing. Like uh, I just, you know, you're like, oh, I didn't think I was going to be a good enough bodybuilder. I didn't think I could be as big as Dorian and Ronnie. I was just too stupid to know otherwise. Like, I was just like, just keep going. Like, I'm, I'm just going to go as far as I can. And uh, I just didn't think, I didn't think it would ever, I would ever stop. You know, I just thought this is the only thing I'm going to do. And uh, until I get there, I just keep going. And that's, that's literally it. It's like, I don't know if I thought I could do it. I just was too stupid to know that I couldn't. <laughs> Well, thank God that you did because you're doing a great service in the world. And I think you are an extraordinary voice of a reason and competence of applying real scientific principles with a strong mission to help other people. And I think that's a beautiful thing. And I think if as a bodybuilder to another bodybuilder, if you can cultivate that out of the sport, you've, you've found true victory in, in, in life. And uh, I, I wish you all the success in the world. Thanks, man. One final thing I'll say is when I started bodybuilding, I looked out for mentors, right? I looked out for someone who was doing it the right way and honestly couldn't find it. So I started, I started just like compiling this, this Frankenstein of mentors, right? Like, like this guy for this and this guy's for that and this guy for that. So um, the idea of like helping these young athletes or young aspiring bodybuilders or fitness enthusiasts with like what, what's, you know, eventually people will become a complete quote unquote, if that's possible, complete view or maybe just a better perspective, right? How you can do this and actually be a good person and, and not have to be, um, you know, the way that it's always been said it has to be done, right? I was, I'm very much a rule breaker. I'm very much like everyone says you got to go this way. Therefore, I'm going that way kind of guy. Uh, and that's ended up being a very great blessing in my life. Uh, so thank you for being here. Uh, it's absolutely an honor and pleasure. And I hope to continue to support Biopromises for a long time. Thanks so much, Ben. Thanks for joining, ladies and gents. That is the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Pakulski. Today's podcast is brought to you by me and my new masterclass on transformations. If you are interested in transforming your body, this is the place for you. Head over to muscleintelligence.com slash masterclass, and I'm going to teach you my six-part framework 
that will allow you to encompass all of the things and understand all of the things that go into ultimately transforming your body and why the industry has it wrong, why I did it wrong for the first 10 years because I was mindlessly following all the quote unquote coaches out there. We simply just didn't understand, right? And if you do it a certain way, um, yes, you can get results, but most of the time, most many people will fail. And if they do succeed, they will often end up reversing out and being worse than they started because they simply haven't done things in a sustainable and effective way. It's way too painful. You're going to suffer too much. And it just doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't always have to be uh, you know, near impossible to where most people fail. We can actually make this a replicable system which I'm so excited to share with you at muscleintelligence.com slash masterclass. Take action right now because there's a very limited amount of time and a very limited amount of space. Guys, thank you for being here. I appreciate you very, very much. I don't take your time lightly. Head over to iTunes or Spotify or YouTube and don't forget to subscribe to the Muscle Intelligence Podcast and leave us a five-star review if you think we deserve it. And also, please share this with at least one person you know and love who is aspiring to live their greatest life in a body they love. Dan Bukowski, out. Thank you so much for tuning in to Muscle Intelligence. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it with at least one person you know. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. The statements and views on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Ben Pikulski and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements or advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest and products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.